Yeah, I just have it for gaming. <laughs> That's literally it. Right. Um, all right, Nathan. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Retake Lounge. I think this is one that I've been anticipating more than others. Um, we get to bring another species spotlight into the mix um, and talk about tree monitors, the only other reptile that I truly want to keep. Right. We, we were definitely biased when picking these episodes because the first one was on green tree pythons. And now the second one is on I threw tree a monitors. Fit and said, if we don't get tree monitors, then, right. then I'm leaving. Right. And um, fortunately enough, um, we were able to, to find our guest that we're going to be introducing to you here shortly um, to talk. I would say fortunately enough, I've had people just knocking at my door trying to convince me that I need to take one home. So. Right. I mean, I, I've been telling you that you've been needing to for a while. I feel like, um, I don't know, I've been reinvigorated ever since I started the little bioactive with the retakes and now I have a green tree python and it's like, I feel like a kid again. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, this is our second episode of species spotlight, but before we jump in and bring on our guests, I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you are not subscribed, um, go ahead and, and hit that subscribe button. If you like this episode and drop your comments down below, if you guys have any other suggestions on what type of species we should bring on to the retake lounge, let us know literally anything that you guys are curious about, have a passion for, we want to bring, um, to our listeners. And then finally, last but not least, at least for my part. Um, the Retake Lounge Patreon. If you guys are, uh, if you guys are not a member and you guys want to check it out, it's only five dollars uh, a month to start off with, and uh, yeah, that's going to give you access to our Discord and uh, monthly Q and As, uh, and we're about to start little mini episode segments for our Patreon members. They voted on what they wanted to enhance their Patreon experience, so we're going to be doing little mini episodes just for them. Um, some. Come hang out with us, a uh, little back studio there, but... That and a little bit of merch that we're starting to slowly add to different tiers, so I uh, look forward to that as well. Yeah, let's go ahead and um, bring on our guest to talk about tree monitors. We are having Cody with Versatile Reptiles on, and uh, we were chatting back in the studio for a little bit, and uh, I'm really excited for this episode. Whether you're just getting into retics or you've been breeding for years, the first place you want to visit is Stewart Design. More and more breeders keep showing up at shows, on Morph Market, and are all over social media. Sometimes it may feel possible to get anyone's attention. Stewart Designs help small businesses like yours do big things through brand clarity, helping entrepreneurs to start and scale businesses that are easy to know and love. Their work can help any company or industry, but they've done a ton of work for ours. Stewart Design created the brands for US Arc, Canova, Reach Out Reptiles, Coiled, and dozens of other well-known reptile breeders. Like many of us, the owner of Stewart Design, Blake, is a keeper and breeder who fell in love with retics through first working with Garrett Hartle. Although Stewart Design does a lot of corporate work, Blake has a passion for working with people in the reptile industry. Stewart Design can help if you're just getting started or you're ready to take things to the next level, you're struggling to stand out and build your presence online or at shows, you don't want to be like the other guys or get lost in the crowd, and you want to make your own way doing what you love. And also, you have big ideas and know your business is special, but you need help sharing it with the reptile community. If something here resonates with you, reach out to Blake and have a conversation. To learn more or get started, visit stewartdesignbrands.com or call them at 855-SD-1000. 
logos. Clear brands own markets. Stuart Design helps create them. If you are in the market for an enclosure for your reticulated python or any other one of your reptiles, Focus Cubed Habitats is your one-stop shop for not only the best-looking cages on the market, but also provide amazing features and add-ons to your cages. We partnered with Focus Cubed Habitats because they continue to innovate and change the way we house our animals unlike any other caging company out there. Their cages are designed intelligently and provide the most stylish and secure housing for your animal's comfort and well-being. Visit focuscubedhabitats.com for your animal's caging needs. Again, visit focuscubedhabitats.com for some amazing and stylish enclosures. We also want to thank VivTech Products for being an affiliate sponsor of the Retic Lounge. Stop by VivTech Products for the best UV spectrum lighting on the market that will enhance and improve your snake's overall well-being and health. Visit VivTechProducts.com and use the code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Again, visit VivTechProducts.com and use our affiliate code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Looking for the perfect accessories for your hatchlings or juvenile retics? Look no further than Heli Guy Serpents. Our sponsor, Chris Sexton, is coming in hot with an amazing 3D printer creating top-notch perches and other caging accessories for your beloved pets. Enrich your retics environment with their high-quality products. Use our promo code TRL10 for a 10% discount on your purchase. Visit them today at heliguyserpents.com and start giving your pets the best. Heliguy Serpents, the premier source for 3D-printed caging accessories. Again, that's www dot heliguyserpents.com and use our promo code TRL10 for 10% off all of your 3D printed accessories today. Yeah, welcome, Cody. Yo, what's going on? Hey, man. What's up, man? So first and foremost, uh, you just uh, had a big trip. How was Tinley? Ooh. Very good. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was the first time I've gotten to vend, like actually at my own table. Oh, nice. Um, like first reptile show ever. No, just, just Tinley. Just Tinley. I, I've vended okay. local shows. Like I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. <clears throat> so I've vended the Omaha Reptile Breeders Expo, which is a true captive bred only show. They don't allow anything else. Oh, nice. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. That's it's, it's very nice. Um, it's ran by really good people. Um, Glenn Easel from Easel Reptiles. He breeds some really cool boas. He vends Tinley and stuff um he's the one that runs the show and it's really nice awesome um, but yeah usually i uh i'm just kind of the the help for 402 exotics who does like geckos and and uh skinks and all this cool stuff and last minute uh one of my friends was like hey i can't make it do you want my table duh <laughs> so <laughs> i bet it was probably at tinley at least better to be behind a booth instead of in the crowd because i heard it gets pretty packed <laughs> dude yeah so usually it's like a madhouse this show was i would say the crowd was way thinner but everybody there seemed to be buying stuff unless all you had was geckos <laughs> just because they were like massively overloaded on them this show but yeah, it, it was it was still a really good turnout. People were buying stuff, which is you know the important thing for us. So, uh, awesome. Do you know how much the auction raised this year? I have no idea. Okay, 
do not know. Yeah, I got I got stranded elsewhere during the auction, which sucked because I wanted to be there for Adeline and Chris's whole thing. But yeah, we had a friend auctioning off something at uh, the Arlington show. Really? Uh, but we went out to Meow Wolf with uh, one of our retic buddies instead, so we didn't get nice. to do the auction thing this year either. Nice. Yeah, I I donated um like a canvas print that I made. Um yeah i i'm i'm still interested in one of those eventually oh nice yeah and, and lucas has some prints from adeline that she nice. that he needs to uh send my way asap yeah my walls are bare my friend oh yeah yeah, yeah. i've i've been collecting from her and from uh mike schultz quite a bit and and actually emily burke also i i just i can't draw to save my life but i i love looking at artwork so i appreciate it yeah. So, you said the canvas that you printed out is it, and I might have just missed it. Is it your work or? Yeah, yeah, it's our animals. Oh, um, cool, cool. Most of them. There's one or two that aren't ours, um, but our animals. I took the photos and then just got them printed on canvas. Nice. I'm gonna get a little nerdy. What kind of camera do you use? Oh, it was a hand me down from an old coworker. It's uh, oh, nice. so I just started photography this year, so I'm I'm pretty new to it. It's a Canon T6 Rebel. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not bad. They turn out all right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, even a base model compared to the highest model, um, for the type of photography that you're doing with your animals, it's literally lighting that matters more. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and I like the in enclosure photos more than like the blank backgrounds so. or on yeah, yeah, like the acrylic background. Yeah. Kind of thing. So you've probably so seen you... my buddy Aspen Mayhan's uh, Priscinus shots on. Yeah, he bought that groups. off me. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Aspen is uh, one of the guys that got me started into retakes way back in the day. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. He, yeah. He's he just a few hours south year. of me. Hell yeah. That's awesome. So, Cody, before we even jump into tree monitor and stuff, can you just kind of like, um, like introduce yourself? Like, what, what got you into reptiles? At what point did you start keeping them? And, and, you know, what have you worked with and all that stuff? Yeah, man. Um, so I, uh, I actually haven't been into reptiles for a crazy amount of time, um, like eight years, maybe slightly less. Yeah, about eight years. Um, I was living in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, uh, and a friend came by and dropped off a 10-gallon aquarium with a savanna monitor in it, a adult female savanna monitor, and was like, hey, I just took this from somebody's house um they were beating it it had a broken tail Holy um shit. so i i rescued this thing from their abuse i know you like animals can you take it and i'm like i, I guess i Can't literally no. i literally took a photo of it and reverse image searched it on google just to figure out what it was i didn't even know what a savannah monitor was <laughs> um and so, so did it just hate people all around it was pretty calm actually but uh through like you know kind of morbid but figured out this guy like picked this adult female up by his tail and like whipped it and snapped oh, her tail at the base that's and so uh yeah it was it was brutal um but so you know i i reverse image search this figure out it's a savannah monitor so then i'm i'm googling savannah monitor care uh youtubing it everything and then i find the nerd youtube channel and back then kevin was posting a lot of 
like yeah. socializing videos and a lot of Savannah monitor videos. I know exactly which one you like in the white yep. cages with the shelves yep. and things in there with yep. the window on the side. Yeah. Looking outside. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just obsessively watching those and I'm realizing this animal can't even turn around in this aquarium. This isn't suitable. So I, <laughs> yeah. So I, not to mention the broken tail, like whatever direction you put it into this aquarium, that's how it was stuck. Man. Um, Ugh. And so I had it a whole of 48 hours and then found somebody else in a Facebook group who had a Savannah in like an eight by four by four enclosure. And I'm like, do you want this? And so I just kind of kept up with them, found out the female got its tail amputated, um, like all the way up to the base. Oh, um, wow. But now she can, you know, function and move. And then after all this, um, Two years later, that she ended up breeding with that male, and she's produced multiple fertile clutches. Damn. So that's well, thank cool. God she wasn't a tree I, monitor. That would be dude, right. detrimental. I've, I've always said, like, we really don't deserve what our reptiles give us. Like, no. we, we don't. Like, as humans, mm -hmm. like, we just, they are too good to us. Yeah. And, and my thought on that, too, is just like, and, you know, like, kind of a lot of foreshadowing happened here, but um, realizing you know you depending on where you look you can get savannas for twelve dollars right um, yeah that's yeah. that completely speaks to why this person thought it was okay to just abuse this animal so badly um which is really heavily what influenced like hey when i get into breeding i don't want to be anywhere near this price range so i looked for what is you know eight hundred dollars and up and then i can have a little bit more confidence that the people that i sell to eventually will have better like morals which they, is crazy they know what, they know what but... the hell they're getting into at that point yeah so i i had i work at a hair school during the day and i have a student uh who after a reptile expo this must must have been about four years ago uh came back to me excited because she knew i worked with pythons and goes look at this monitor i just got no mm -hmm. reptile experience at all and got a nile monitor oh no and, yeah 30 bucks yeah and you know i I, I didn't hold back. I, I got kind of upset with her and I kind of told her what she got herself into. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, did her best to be like, oh, no, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. And sure, sure as shit, she was getting rid of that monitor within six months. Oh, I'm surprised even that long. Oh, yeah. man. More, the mortality rate. Sorry, Nats. Uh, the mortality <laughs> rate. Um... I thought you were just being passionate. Right. <laughs> Dude, I, I bought a bunch of live plants recently to redo some oh, tree geez. monitor cages. And a couple of them, of course, had fungus gnats in them. And so I'm just like miserable lately. <laughs> um, and they they love the LED computer monitor. So, you know, uh, know how that goes. But um, but yeah, the mortality rate on stuff like Niles and Savannah's, they, they say it's like 80 percent don't live past three months. Wow. Captivity. So wow. Yeah, no, I, I believe it. Um, it's it's crazy that an animal that size that requires that much space and that much feeding is just so, so cheap. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's nuts. But that's why, like, again, like I said, I, I really like the tree monitors for that. But no, anyways, after uh, after that whole Savannah debacle, I was just like, okay, um, you know, I really like this thing. It's, it's really piqued my interest when I can get, like, stable footing because I, I – weird living situation at the time i uh built like a five by three by three enclosure like 
um, all custom out of wood and like literally went down to the beach and like beach the fucking Mississippi (laughs) 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 and uh, and picked up a bunch of driftwood and and hauled it back and like cleaned it well and then mounted it in this enclosure and then bought a quince monitor and just became obsessed with quince monitors and went through all that and then I got um, uh, a boa imperator and a couple different chameleon species and just kind of went from there and like i'm looking up quince monitors right now they look pretty damn cool they don't look like they get too big either uh you you'd be surprised uh, <laughs> like five, five, five foot with a tail four four and a half but okay. yeah they can be pretty girthy yeah um, larger bodied for sure yeah and they're they're like the semi-aquatic type they're indicus complex so mm. like they're related to like mangroves peach throats blue tails all that um and so they it, I don't know. It's nice with monitors. If you can see what complex something's in, you can kind of determine um, what the care is going to be like, what the diet's going to be like, about how big it's going to get. Um, so, like, uh, Indicus complex, like I said, it, it's Indicus is Varanus Indicus after the mangrove monitor. And okay. so, basically, everything inside of that is from Indonesia area. And it's it's going to be between three and four and a half feet. It's all going to eat the same thing. They all have the the lateral dorsal uh, that lets them swim better. They're mm-hmm. they're all pretty. Other than color, they're all pretty similar in shape and size. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Why a lot of monitors I look at and I'm like, why do you look the same as the other one? But you're a lot more expensive. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of like the subgenus stuff. Yeah. So like um tree monitors at one point were actually because they're all from the same region uh in indonesia so like you have oh and we were talking about green tree pythons um so on like west papua new guinea you have sarong and man uh and uh cyclops jaipura all that you have blue tail monitors from these regions you have green tree monitors from these regions and you have green tree pythons from all these same regions so they all interact in the wild uh, but because of that, up until like 10 years ago, tree monitors were a part of the same subgenus as um, like blue tails and everything. But then they're finally okay. like, well, that doesn't make sense. So then they split them off. So now tree monitors are considered Hapterosaurus. So tree monitor Dude, has it, its it own ends, complex. It, it ends in the same thing that dinosaur? Yeah. Like Tyrannosaurus? That's cool. Yep. <laughs> Hapterosaurus. Now, I, now yeah. I'm getting one. <laughs> I know, right? But yeah, so so then now the tree monitors and like you'll see some people say like some Odatria stuff are are like tree monitors, like Timors are tree monitors. Everything that is a tree monitor is in the tree monitor or Prasinus complex. So green, black, blue, yellow, and then the Bioc cordensis and the gold spotted. And then like the Keith Horneye, which is on Australia, and then you know, I'm sure there's more out there that we don't know about. So, um, I, I want to, so basically the, the, let me, and again, ignorance here, don't know anything about, uh, tree mm-hmm. monitors, but, but is a lot of their color influenced by their, their locality? I have no clue. I don't think anybody knows. Um, okay. I can say for certain. So, you know, black tree monitors, um, there's a lot of assumptions that the darker stuff is, you know, the likely more cold or higher elevation it is. Myself and multiple people have reached out to natives or people that actually go out and collect these animals and tried asking, hey, where do you find these? Is it colder than where you find the others? And we never get a straight answer. 
Okay. And oh. importation status on these, they're still open, right? Yeah, sure are. Yeah, importation's open, but I know that we are now kind of in a predicament where we might not be able to do interstate commerce. Uh, it's just with the blue trees, and it's okay. just an ESA form, so Endangered Species Act. Um, Similar to what you have to do with uh, indigos. like indigos? Yep. Same okay, so you thing. need an interstate commerce license. Yeah, and then you need to fill a $100 permit and wait two months, and then you can still sell it. Oh, okay. Okay, well, luckily I, I have uh, blue trees being bred here in Utah, so. Yep. But yeah, so it's it if it goes through the same way that they're predicting it will, um, which is like indigos, um, you can absolutely still buy and sell them. You can trade them. There's not going to be an issue with it. It's just going to be regulated. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it is still going to be weird because like, how will that work with um, Brandon Van Asten, for example, from Canadian Cold Blood? Will yeah. that hinder him receiving or sending in animals from Canada? Um, because he is a huge breeder of tree monitors. Um, and that would be really unfortunate for him. I'm trying to get a female from him right now as well, too. So, so it sounds like unfortunate for you, too. Yeah, yeah, sure <laughs> is. But we don't know if it'll even pass. It's just being talked about. And there's so many other methods that they could take to remedy the situation and hindering the captive breeding it's of stupid. them is not the the method to saving the wildlife you know exactly that i've never understood that it's okay these things in the wild are now classified as endangered or whatever so let's just like make it harder to to for for people to sell them state to state it's like what yeah. where's I, I read a I read a Facebook comment at one point that was like that. Imagine like your house is on fire, and then the fire department comes out and then just lights your neighbor's house on fire, and then <laughs> like that's that's essentially what they're doing. Like, Basically, they're not curbing the issue; they're just creating more issues. Yeah, yeah. it makes no sense. Um, I I, I want to ask you like what what is it about? So you said you've had other monitors, but now you are like you're on tree monitors dialed in yeah I, so oh, what smart what, man. what is it is it is it like the breeding and financial aspect that looks good but is it also their like what makes them unique yeah. that that you're every, working with them? i i can i can say with absolute confidence they check every box for me every single one they're smaller bodied they're bright colored mm -hmm. they're arboreal i love arboreal stuff um because you can do way cooler enclosures mm -hmm. um smaller bodied so smaller enclosure um they're super inquisitive they're very outgoing they're every, every i say everybody um everybody that you see online that has no experience with them says they're super fragile absolutely hands off i hold mine all the time all the time i have multiple wild cots that i hold regularly after you work with them enough even wild cots you can sometimes get them to come out to you i have a long-term captive yellow tree monitor where I can just stick my arm in his enclosure and now he will like eventually just jump to my shoulder and then climb on my head and just hang out. That's so what I so I've watched life. a video or two of yours on, on YouTube and we'll definitely throw that in the comment section. But mm -hmm. um, I know you have a, a black tree and then a blue tree that are a little more antisocial. Are those even mm -hmm. to a point where they, they come out and socialize with you every once in a while? Uh, So... The black I, I, tree, the male black tree, I think in the last video that I uploaded, he was a complete nutcase. Like, well, and I you opened, mentioned his, his tail. So, yeah, yeah, he's missing like this much of his tail. Um, yeah. 
but he uh complete nutcase i open the enclosure and he starts banging into the walls trying to run away from me um what was that six months ago now i can walk him out onto me for food and he'll just hang out he's fine now it's okay. just not forcing yourself on him yeah that's the number one thing but but yeah like i said they they check all the boxes for me they're the like everything with the bright colors i i like the aesthetics they're slender they're long the tails being prehensile are just so damn cool um but then on being small the food bills way lower they're but they're also more rare so they're a higher price point not that i'm all like business fixated but return on investment is way better if that's where your mind is at but even then like if i'm just thinking and and for full disclosure like the baby that i sold at tinley this week for twenty five hundred dollars i used that to buy one thousand day old quail that cost me seven hundred and fifty dollars that will last me a year <laughs> so oh, geez, or okay. close to close to a year so from the sale of one baby i can stock up on nine months worth of food so That's, it's like yeah most mon like look at any of the dudes breeding black dragons and absolutely no hate to them they're all great dudes with great animals but there's so many people producing them now that you have to sell them for fifteen hundred dollars that fifteen hundred won't pay for three months worth of food yeah it's yeah not even just for the group of hatchlings that you have just for the adults like right and and on top of that with black dragons like how many people are actually capable of owning these animals as well oh yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah that's a whole another can of worms yeah that's that's and that's where i think i like the the size point of because i've but, I but have... let's let's weigh the options here because in terms of selling to a new ish keeper is it more responsible to sell a newish keeper a, a hatchling super dwarf or a hatchling green tree model? Right. Uh, I I have sold multiple tree monitors to first time monitor keepers. Well, multiple yeah, yeah. I'm, I would definitely be a first time monitor keeper. Right. I haven't been um, a lizard keeper in forever. I'm, right. I'm, a, um, I'm also a big believer that like I don't like the whole like oh you need to step up phase for oh, you to dude. get. Yeah, yeah, everyone, it, 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 I've had people locally crazy. tell me I need Ackies first. Then I'm like, oh, no, no, I, I like, don't care about Ackies. Why, why am I going to jump into a species that I don't care to own? Because it's that will just make you not want monitor lizards. <laughs> right. That's, that's all that's going to do. You're going to go, oh, this isn't fun. Maybe I don't like monitors and then sell it. <laughs> well, that, and everything you mentioned about peeve. tree monitors is everything I love about tree monitors. I mean, they're right. the, the most contrasty, like colorful reptile that you can own that isn't going to kill you with its bite yeah, I yeah mean, i've been bit a few times now uh all by adults and and they are they are venomous i mean all monitor species are slightly venomous but yeah but but the way their venom works and i i say in air quotes venom yeah it has not developed to a stage where it affects humans yeah it, yeah. it does not affect people they have I haven't read much into the, those bites. I, I've read a, a book. I don't know if you're, mm -hmm. you're familiar with uh, Stephen Fry, who uh, oh, yeah. put yeah, out Venom that. Doc. Yeah. Yeah. So the way monitor venom affects anything is it's targeted at, I believe, just small mammals and bugs. Yeah. Um, it does not affect humans. There's anticoagulant properties for sure, because you will bleed like mad. And um, it can hurt like hell. 
yeah but the the side effects are more from bacteria on your skin or on their teeth or in their mouth so if you have like aching shooting pain stuff like that like generally it's just a a cause of um like bacteria yeah definitely like, more an infection risk than a yeah. than a uh, venom risk yeah because their mouths aren't clean by any means yeah um there, there's still a lot of debate on it uh, i literally have a notepad on my second monitor called monitor venom toxicity um a comment from an old fucking facebook post um by somebody that passed away and i can't remember his name but he he just broke down like why we don't actually really understand everything from it um and why some of what stephen fry put in the book isn't exactly true because it it's not working in the same way snake venom does for example like it's not just targeting everything it's more so like you have the baby eyelash vipers where they're more targeted towards amphibians Mm -hmm. and then as they grow it begins to affect a broad spectrum Um, yeah i think i think everyone should read that book but definitely take it with a grain of salt because he's he he spread out his venom research over so so much i mean Mm -hmm. venom from any species you can imagine from fish to reptiles right but yeah i've heard i've heard a lot about reports of just like like some shooting pain and stuff or headaches afterwards but we don't even know for certain if those are side effects of the actual bite or any saliva or venom present. Um, so th- there's just more that needs to be done. There's Wor- so, worst like... I've heard from tree monitors, at least. I mean, I'd imagine it's different from species to species, but uh, is just like, you know, feeling like you slammed your finger in a car door or something. Oh, like yeah, that. there's just really there's like some pain. Yeah, there's some aching for sure. Uh, consistently, the ones that I hear have the worst bites as far as like, after effects are indicus complex so mangroves and stuff okay let me ask you this it's as far as so i know there's a bunch of different colors but can you just kind of review and kind of go through each of those um different i guess whether they're locality or colors or yeah uh so i they're all species and i can tell you where they're from too Um, perfect so the main one and the reason why you see the most of greens is they're from mainland West Papua. Um, they're as far as we know, the labeled locality, which, you know, there's the cut in between Papua separating it. Um, we really don't know if there's more monitors on the east side of Papua New Guinea. And okay. there probably is. There, there's assuredly species that we're unaware of that are out there or other locality of green tree monitors. But as far as the green trees go, the locality that people go off of are Maroc, Saron, Jayapura. Um, and I think that's it for the, yeah, that's the, that's it for the three of those. But then there's been a lot of debate recently um, about what Maroc locality actually looks like. And I don't know if you know anything about like collectors from green tree pythons and stuff, but they're constantly mislabeled. Um, so, so there's just, just the fact that we bring in these imports called Wamina, but there's no green tree pythons in Wamina. Exactly. That's That's, just where they're literally my, (laughs) yeah, that's, they are collected elsewhere, brought back to Wamina and then shipped out from there. And Mm -hmm. because that's where it says they were shipped from, that's That's where they're labeled as. That's yeah. That's where they're collected from. I guarantee that's just the airport. yeah, Yeah. I guarantee that same thing happens with green tree monitors to some extent. Um, and yeah. so there's, there's a lot that we don't know. Um, 
but so that's why green trees are the most popular. They they have the biggest section of land. But then um, blue trees are I, from. Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to ask you before you get into the other colors. There is a uh, there's a a green tree monitor that looks like a green tree monitor that I guess is not a green tree monitor. <laughs> a subspecies uh, or we, we what were we talking about at, at Arlington? Oh, there's so, a. So you were you were referring to Cordensis, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a different species. There, so it I the, I hate that, the that's names. A, so, and this might just be my colorblind ass because I'm red green colorblind. The, oh really? The the, the, the Cordensis and that's the Porcinus I can tell apart just because the patterning. Pattern um, is so different. Yeah, I, I like the Cordensis just because I, I want a more social animal. Um, I love the blues more than anything, but it reminds me of the pattern more of the blues than the Prasinus does. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so pr but, but then we the get into one? yellow tree monitors, and I'm just like, that looks like Prasinus to me. They so. look almost indistinguishable, yeah. Which uh, one is a tree monitor? Cordensis or Prasinus? All of them. So there is no longer subspecies of tree monitors. They're each their own species. Okay. So every color is its own species. Cool. They occur on different islands. And all of these islands, green tree pythons occur on too. That's so, crazy how like retics are just retics, but they're found over the entire fucking world. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> so with uh, the green tree monitor, which is Prasinus or Prasinus. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Knows? I'll probably butcher all these names. This is just how I've been interpreting I, I know, online. Yeah. I know how to pronounce a few of them and it's because they're actually named after people's last names, just with an I added. Um, okay. But so you have Prasinus or Prasinus. Uh, which is the green tree monitor. And then you have the Bakari or Bekari, uh, which is the black tree monitor. Those are on Aru. Um, Whoa. And then, yeah, and then you have the Cordensis, which are from Biok. Um, and then the... Are Cordensis more nervous or flighty or biting? I, 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 see, I see them going the other direction. Um, yep. they're, they're a little bit more chill. Okay. And I, all I, of this... I ask because Biok's... Green tree pythons tend to have the the worst oh yeah attitude. they have an attitude yeah yeah um I I do personally wonder if some of the bad mannerisms in tree monitors is just based on who's collecting them and how rough they are with them um because that could totally be a cause for it but I but mean yeah, that's so... that's why I mean if you're getting into this fresh CBB I mean with retics with tree monitors with yeah. really any oh, yeah. species that you're just getting into CBBs always the best route and oh yeah and, I mean, and, I, and as young as you can get too yeah and and i at this point i am very much of the opinion if you want to first start out in tree monitors or with like a more niche species in general start captive bred i don't even care if your intent is to eventually breed if it's your first one do yourself a favor and do captive if you just want a pet do captive Leave the wild-caught populations for the people that are already breeding that are going to actually utilize that fresh bloodline to try to um, broaden what we have access to instead of buying up all of these wild-caught animals and not knowing what you're doing and possibly killing them off. It's, it's doing more harm than good. Um, so I, as a benefit to both sides of it, the breeder and the buyer, buy captive bred. It's yeah. just easier. I feel like it's um, just it's always going to be a smoother process. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, but yeah, it anyways. seems like such basic information, but it's the one thing that we keep having to just bash into people's yeah, brains. always, always. Um, 
But yeah, anyways, so then you have uh so the Cordensis from Biak, Black Trees are from uh Aru, the yellow trees, which is Rizinari, uh, they are from Misul. And then um blue trees are from Batanta. Okay, cool. So all green tree pythons on all of those. That's man, now it my interest is peaking a little more. Right. No, and it's <laughs> It's actually funny. One of the things that actually helped me early on with trying to breed tree monitors was watching Green Tree Python podcasts and listen to how people talked about doing temp cycling and food cycling. And I, I'm just like, look, they occur in the same place. There's got to be some merit to it. So I started trying to do temperature cycling with the with the tree monitors, and it worked. So... Okay. It there there's some merit to it. So I a lot of what I picked up early on in breeding tree monitors came from chondros. It makes sense. I mean, same areas. They're both reptiles, right? Um, and I'm sure a lot of the incubation process is pretty damn similar. Yep. Oh yeah. And and what we figured out in the process too is these methods also work for indicus stuff that occur on on Jayapura and or uh, that occur on West Papua also. So mangroves and stuff works for those too. So as far as like, so obviously the different colors are different colors. Do you, do you know, obviously, I don't know if you've ever been to any of these islands, but do you know if the color is an adaptation to their, their environment surrounding? Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at earlier, which was just like, we tried looking into it how we could. I've contacted people in the area. There's just so little research been done from an actual scientific standpoint that it's, it's just Indonesia. like, yeah, we just got to figure out what are the right questions to ask and see if we can ask the locals. And so we tried asking, hey, is there a mountain on Aru that you find or a higher elevation that you find the black trees on? And is that maybe why they're black? Is it colder there? Can't get a straight answer. Um, and, and I was going to ask kind of the same question about size. Are, are we getting kind of the same answer back just not enough research uh it, it's actually strange green trees are the smallest tree monitor but they come from the biggest section of land okay that's cool. blue that, that, blue that's trees are the biggest backwards from retics. yeah yeah blue trees are <laughs> the biggest and they come from the second smallest island so so we don't have insular dwarfism going on with tree monitors. Nope. No. And and what what's interesting though is but blue are they trees, even small islands? Relatively Batanta's like three and a half miles long. Okay, that's a small island. Yeah. Uh if that, like maybe two and a half to three. Um and it's and it's skinny, it's like a mile wide. Okay. Um but uh Oh, I have a theory on the answer on why that, that happens. Same. So I I I in in would you like to share first or um you can go ahead so i, I was gonna so because when we think about it from a retix perspective with insular dwarfism and they break off and get into these smaller islands we're talking about the longest species of snake in the world being on a small island that doesn't have farms that doesn't have big animals and so that's what ends up keeping them small but when tree monitors are are roughly eating i, I mean what would they be eating in the wild um, like 99% grasshoppers and then small birds and rodents. Right. So grasshoppers, birds, and rodents. It doesn't matter what size the island is. There's going to be rodents, grasshoppers, and birds, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's why we're not seeing that ancillary dwarfism or the smaller islands impact because 
you know, a grasshopper is a grasshopper. A, you know, a grasshopper on the United yeah, States is not going to be this big. Right, yeah. exactly. Like there's, you know, there's not two foot grasshoppers and then like one inch grasshoppers be based on the size of the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my theory is um, the when you look at West Papua, there is, you know, the croc monitor and the blue sail monitor and all these bigger monitors. And mm-hmm. so I feel like they're just being outcompeted size wise. But when you look at Aru and Batansa with the blue trees and black trees, which are the two biggest, there's no competing lizards. The only oh. thing that they have that predates them is maybe birds and green tree pythons when they're young. Okay. That that so, that's definitely one thing I didn't take into account is uh, you know, when we when we talk about reticulated pythons, they don't have that same competition. Mm-hmm. I, actually, so Daniel Solis actually recently did an interview on on uh, Reach Out Reptiles channel, and um, he actually made a very interesting observation and statement. Um, there are water monitors on Kalatoa and these other islands, and he almost he he made a state, and I don't want to quote this or anything, but what I took out of the video was that possibly a secondary factor to contributing to them being smaller out outside of like smaller prey items because he says they'll hang out in the caves and eat bat after bat after bat. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but was that they have, you know, there's a, there's an animal that's higher on the food chain and them being small enough to stay in the crevices of the wall and hiding away from the monitors actually keeps them safer versus if they were to outgrow being able to hang up on certain areas in the caves and things like that they would be more exposed and likely to to you know fall right victim of a monitor somehow i miss that i'm gonna have to it was it was a good it was a really good interview i I, uh, garrett and tom were in the background and it was just you know i think they actually recorded it at retic fest um but uh it was a great interview and i I love hearing daniel's experiences of of being on the islands because it's literally um he he has a good like observative mindset um Mm -hmm. and he brings a lot of it back so i appreciate it right yeah i uh i'm kind of pseudo planning i want to say it like a trip like a vacation um i i don't know when it'll be i keep saying next year um and that was two years ago that I started saying that. And then every time I'm like, I want to build more cages. I want to buy an Indonesia I want to for build the last more. four years. So um, I get you. So, yeah. Ethan, but so I've been wanting to get a group of people together, just a group of friends to go. Um, even like Adeline and Chris were like very down for it. They're one of the first awesome. two that were like, yes, let's go. Um, at this point, I have like six or seven people that are like, okay, group trip to Indonesia. We'll go to Jakarta and then plane or boat out from there. Um, and then go to the islands and just spend like a week and a half. Why, in, why are you Indo. shaking your head, Nathan? Because I want to be on this trip so badly. Oh, same. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I mean, that we need to let, let's encourage Patreon members to get to that $50 tier so we can start putting right. money away to get to Yeah, But yeah, I've, uh, I have a friend that went last year uh chris applin he did a really great field study um or at least like pseudo field study research trip on batanta to take photos of blue trees and just kind of learn more about them in the wild oh um, I, th- I think i saw some of those photos mm-hmm. they're really nice um but he uh he 
I, and all the credit to him, he got a lot of contacts while he was there and, and in the process of leading up to going. Um, so he had like translators and, and guides and all this stuff. And, and um, I, I am in the process of trying to figure out that information myself so that I can um, actually have somebody to direct us around. So we don't, you know, just get lost and eaten by some people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that, that's, that's my concern is like getting up and going yeah. Not really too big of an issue for me. It's going to the right places and having someone who knows the lay of the land so that I'm not walking into a King Cobra. Right. Yeah. Um, no shit. um yeah, the there there's definitely people out there that are willing to do it. Um the craziest part to me was figuring out the the a reasonable amount to pay people out there, like what we would consider way too low. Um you could spend probably 10 days there with the hotel airfare, both ways, everything. If you do it with a group on two grand a person. If yeah. That. No, yeah. I've, I've oh, heard. That, I feel like that's even pushing it probably. Yeah. That that's pushing it. That that's that, like, that, that might be, even, that's, that, that's, that could even like be a good portion of airfare. Yeah. That, yeah oh no. I'm saying, I'm saying airfare. Hotel. Oh, oh, okay. That, Ooh, that makes a lot everything. more sense. Like gonna... airfare is the most expensive part. Yeah. Once you're out there, I mean, two, two K yeah. gives you an extra meal a day. Like you're eating. Yeah. Yeah. You're I'm, eating I'm good. saying airfare, hotel, <laughs> tour guides, food, um, paying people for the boat rides, everything. Yeah. That's now in, in terms of prepping cheap. for the trip, are you getting like any shots or anything to prepare? Like, that whole kind uh, of I'm not that far into it, so I have no idea yet, but okay. I would like to. I'd like to be that smart about it. I don't even end up <laughs> with like real, a right? hot fly or something like that. <laughs> Blake times. I, I commented on one of Blake Wilson's posts after he had a, a bot fly larva popping in and out of his leg, and I get notifications of people liking that all the time, and I have to get reminded oh, no. of just that oh, thing. No. I'm like, did you see? What? Did you see the stream of him pulling it out on MJ's yes, podcast? That was I, I didn't. I, I need to because I, when I commented on that, I was like, dude, why the hell didn't you grab that before it went back <laughs> in? Yeah, no, he wanted it to hatch or like oh, fully pupate. And of course, Blake, I love That's, you, but you're disgusting. Blake yeah, is no, a fucking jungle man. He's awesome. Did you see his new tattoo? I have not. I I have not. He, I thought it was marker. I really thought <laughs> got, across his chest right here. He got gringo tattooed. Oh, I did see that. Okay. I saw <laughs> yep, that. It's fantastic. I saw him this weekend. At that's probably what they call him over in Peru. <laughs> oh, it's gotta be. Yeah. It's that's gotta be honorary. Um, that's great. God, he's so love funny it. though. He's yeah. He's a good amount of time really at our fun. booth hanging out. Yeah. He's a good yeah, dude. A I, I always dude. enjoy seeing him at Arlington whenever he's, he's there, not in South America. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. He, uh, he helped me out a lot this time last year. Um, he's who I got some of my cordensis from. He had yeah. Been really cool. In, so, yep. Yeah. And then our female black tree, actually, we got from him at, uh, the fall show last year also. Nice. Yep. Um, okay. Back to green tree monitor information, um, about like how big do they get? Uh, so the greens max at about three feet with two feet of it being tail. Yeah, I was going to say they have massive tail. Why is that? Oh, because they're tree monitors? Long and prehensile. <laughs> Lucas, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Yeah. Fuck off. There there it is. <laughs> uh, 
but lo- the their tails are actually fully prehensile. They can individually okay. wrap them, like loop it mm-hmm. and everything around stuff. And so they'll use it to just brace themselves while they're hanging from a wall. They'll use it to slow their fall while they're reaching for like water or bugs. Like I have actually seen it, it's so funny. The other day I was like holding one of the babies on my arm here and it was going to jump into the enclosure but it wrapped its tail around this way so when it jumped it just swung back and hit me in the chest what (laughs) yeah it didn't even do it intentionally like you could tell it like full spread out trying to jump into the cage and do do they ever get clumsy and and mess that up yeah oh yeah Uh, okay yeah that's what it did right there was a total mess up but it's like it was its first time doing it and you could tell um it, it was five weeks old you know um, but like, uh, I've seen the mom actually like jump from a branch and loop her tail on another one while she's jumping and like brace her landing and like, That's yeah, so and they cool. will like fully hang from their tail and just slowly release it. So they hang down. It's yeah, it's, it's very cool. So with an animal that does that, just like, wh- how does a cage setup look like? tall <laughs> no kidding uh yeah um i mean what so I, I was saying it earlier it's nice that they don't need huge cages but like for me the ideal footprint on your floor is like four by three that's it and which, then which the cages oh wait wait there we go yeah the cages just behind me uh they're they're four by three by two so i just you yeah know, add so another just... two feet tall Hold and on, make it have, one cage you, i'm you good have, to go you have three feet deep cages yeah, for the no wonder why girls. you got back problems. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, for the for the hatchlings, I say, like, at this point, when people buy hatchlings off me, I recommend buying a three to four, so three long, four tall. Now I um, see a lot of people start with like the Exoterra kind of stuff for hatchlings. No, cut it out. Absolutely not. Hold up, hold dude. up for for a for a baby. Yeah, four feet tall. And I say that because they don't freak like the way I socialize them. They don't freak out going into it. True. Um, and then you don't have to worry about okay, three months build another one, three months build another one, four months build another one. Do, do you they can grow leave it quickly? in that. Yeah, they grow quick. Okay. Uh, so a, realistically, a... when you're buying a tree monitor, you want to have both the the four foot tall and the six foot tall ready to go. So if you're doing it responsibly. So what I say is so like let's say. You wanted one of the babies that I have had you next month. I would tell you buy <laughs> a th- right buy a three. I like by February because it's closer to my birthday. Same, actually, yeah. Um, I would say buy a three by two by four PVC cage from uh, Focus Cube or Animal Plastics or whoever. I usually buy from Animal Plastics. Uh, no, go Focus Cube, sponsor yeah. the podcast. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm an hour and a half from Animal Plastics, so I drive to their warehouse and pick stuff uh, up. Okay, so that so would make it a okay, little good. bit more worth they don't make it. You but... eight, they don't make you wait eight months? They're down to a three and a half right now. Oh, so. good for them. Oh, yeah. When, I, when I bought, it was it was almost Yeah, they year. got backed up for a while. They... I, I've been buying from them for years. They're really great people. Uh, they just don't have a crazy amount of staff. Right. And before COVID, they had a warehouse with one single CNC and like three people building. Yeah. And then they were like, hey, we're going to move to a bigger facility and buy that a second forever. CNC. <laughs> and it took forever. They get there. They get their wait time down to one month COVID. Yeah. Yep. 
and and here's what i'll say like Jeez. overall like they, they make a great enclosure mm-hmm. but at, at the point where they're at with how uh just high turnover their their enclosures are i, I don't feel like they have enough time to be doing r d and really like pushing the they cages don't. further they and, and that's where focus cubed is really starting yeah. to edge them out i well, yeah. i like I said, I I love the people at AP, and I literally on the way to Tinley, that enclosure that I had set up on the table at Tinley, I picked that up Friday morning and built it completely on the table. Yeah, so I, I saw the, that, and it, it looked amazing. Yeah, well, that, all the walls and everything I did at the show. That, yeah, I, I, when I get my tree monitor, I, uh, there's a few people I'll talk to, but you're going to be one of the main for sure. For sure. Right. So, like, with AP, like, one thing that I can respect about them is if they have a good foundation box right and and that's oh, a good yeah. and, and and they're they're actually pretty affordable oh they're um, very yeah and, and, and so when you are when you're getting like a, a tree monitor like what makes that enclosure amazing is everything you do to the inside of it so yeah. as long as long as you have a frame right yeah. then that's all that matters um yeah because i'm not putting heat panels and all this stuff in it and crazy ventilation like i don't need all the bells and whistles that the focus cube does and that's why i'm like hey if you're buying a green tree python buy a focus cube you don't have to go out and part out all these things and figure out what you need no and it's it. like literally, I, I literally just got they they customized and sent me custom ones uh with my logo and everything on them they sent nice. me home with one two three four uh four or five enclosures i'm not gonna think about it but um everything like it, I it mean, was five you, yeah, five UV lighting ready to go. Damn. Purchase, purchase ready to go. Everything already installed. See, and, like, and you can't beat that. No, that's it's, fantastic. It, and and it's all top notch finishing. I mean, mm, you yeah. you know, I mean, everyone knows yeah. how sexy they are. Yeah, they're, they're so nice. But yeah, and so I like I was saying though, like oh and, oh, you said they have no time for R and D. Zero. I I've mentioned like, hey, it would be cool if you could do this. And every yeah. time it's just, we can't even think about it. We yeah, got to get this weight down. I mean, good. good, for, I, good for I, them, I love though. my AP cages, but my my biggest gripe, and I think, APs. yeah, uh, yeah, the APs behind me, the four by three by twos, they, I, I got them so they could the retics could have more height and then a shelf, but mm-hmm. you know the shelf is kind of one size fits fits all for reptiles, and they're not quite as oh, wide, not wide as yeah. I would. Yeah, they're they're pretty slim for an adult female retic. Yeah, my and purple that... my purple can get up there and she's a good nine foot but nice. i mean the annery she can use it for a second but then she's just climbing down she's not spending any time up there, right so. she, yeah she feels and for fat me i don't do anything like that in it i have them cut an eight and a half inch hole in the in the uh, top of it and put mm-hmm. a screen in and yeah. i just put my bastion light on that other well, than that i'm doing everything else so so, so husbandry with these animals wait hold on i want oh. to know like how to like the question i asked was what does the inside of an enclosure look like? <laughs> yeah. Um, walls completely covered. Um, you know, like, like I was mentioning earlier, the three by two by four. And the reason I say that is because instead of upgrading cages every three months, you could use that for a year. Like, let's say I have this month and a half, two month old baby that I send you and you put it in a three by two by four. You can use that until it's 10, 12 months old and not have to worry about upgrading and upgrading and upgrading and then selling cages, leaving that for 10, 12 months and then throw it in the four, three, six and you're good. That's it. You only need two enclosures. And so that also having that year gap between them allows you more time to figure out the bigger cage. Um, But 
and very, very important um, for the inside of the enclosure. Cover all the walls. Um, With what? Uh, realistically, cork bark, um, okay. like cork flats and stuff. I've it, done I, drylock. I yeah, I was going to say in your videos, I, it didn't look like just playing cork bark. So I had in that second to last video that I made of the probably two the white... one I've been referencing all night. Yeah, the the two big white. <laughs> Can you pull it up on his Instagram or no? <laughs> right. Uh, I don't have it on there. Oh, I might have. It, it's in... YouTube. So oh, so okay. he has a YouTube and an Instagram that we'll definitely link, and we'll show we'll show the Instagram in just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. I might have. Um... Okay, I have a photo of the enclosures on my Instagram, uh, and then I have an updated photo of them on there too. Uh, with the included fly strip because the plants, uh, there was no animals in it. <laughs> but, yeah, I'll, I'll pull it up, Lucas. You you carry the podcast for a second. Uh, but heavy. the uh, <laughs> they were all dry lock on the walls, and then I realized really quickly, damn, this is messing these animals up. Um, having three walls full of dry lock that has eight to ten coats of it on it Oof. to make it hard enough that they can't pierce through it it's filing their claws down to nubs so far that when they go to climb on the wall they're just sliding down and no. like how often are you filing now that you brought that up i'm carrying it nathan uh, i'm sorry <laughs> but that that's a good point and like you know if i'm gonna care for a tree monitor that's that's something you don't I have to know. file their claws uh, okay but it, it's yeah. just it's gonna suck when they like if if it's trying to walk up you and you go to pull it off and it digs in they're sharp yeah yeah really so sharp. like obviously like that's something that if if you're competent in keeping these things that you're it's just a simple maintenance thing how often are you doing it how hard is it when you're first I, i've never filed their claws okay okay yeah never never once uh i just look for ways that i can put hard surfaces in the enclosure so it happens naturally i was I, that was my next guess is more yeah. like a scratching post kind of um, a situation and that's basically what all three of those walls were <laughs> so it was making them like nubs all the way around um and you, so by you overdid the filing <laughs> yeah way overdid it and so what i've done now is i've replaced two or all three of the walls in the enclosure um with cork flats and then on one wall, I might leave dry lock just to help file it a little bit. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and um, do you have them set up naturalistic? Like with, with I mean, do you have isopods in there? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So now this is, is, is this, this is the, the cork flats one. that you're you're yep. referencing? Those are the, new, yeah, new cork flats. I the actually new sell cork those. Pl uh, plug there, but <laughs> yeah, I, I sell those flats. Um, no shame, shameless plug all night. I don't dude, care. Yeah, if you go to the next photo, I believe it is uh, two photos over. That's one photo over is my living room. Yeah, that one there. That's what it did look like. The middle uh, left. Oh, uh, uh, middle, right here. Yep. Uh, that's what it did look like. So it was all dry locked with just like uh, sporadic cork flats in there. Um, and so we ripped all that out, um, and then just replaced it with the flats and and it's all live planted um arcadia light two basking spots and a grow light and and for grow lights uh what are you using there uh another plug here there is a local guy to me that started making his own grow lights uh he goes by thrive ecosystems um and his grow lights are honestly fantastic um 
I, uh, what was it? Eight months ago now, ten, nine months ago, he messaged me that he had been, um, designing his own grow lights for like amphibians and dart frogs and stuff to put on top of the glass enclosures. And he just felt like he was finally to a point where he wanted to test them out inside of enclosures. And he's just like, Hey, look, man, see if you can break these, get them hot, get them wet and see if it quits working and let me know. And he gave me a few of them. And so I, uh, damage tested them for him and they're, they're great. I ended up picking up a few more cause I liked them so much. And now they're in all the tree monitor enclosures and, and so, they're, they're fantastic. So. Now, now I know you keep plants in, are you, this is kind of a, a new subject for us retic keepers and a new idea, but are you keeping anything bioactive? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I've learned since that video that you are referencing is uh, my substrate dams were way too small. Um, that, so was, that's one other thing I wanted to bring up in caging yeah. is do you want a substrate dam and everything? Yeah. So the substrate dam was only eight inches. Um, not only was it impossible to hold humidity and made because I made those PVC enclosures myself and they aren't CNC'd and fantastic like that. Uh, they weren't very sturdy because there wasn't a lot of barrier in the front to hold it upright. Um, so humidity issues, plants were dying because there wasn't enough bedding, um, structural integrity. And then also because it was so short, the monitors were just glass surfing all day and just running their nose across the glass each way. Uh, so what I did was I ripped out that eight inch dam and replaced it with a 24 inch dam. And in doing so I could do 15 inches of bedding and I'm doing a drainage layer. I'm doing my own like ABG mix. So I'm doing raised garden bed soil, topsoil, um, cocoa, sand, peat moss, sphagnum moss, orchid bark, charcoal. Um, and then I do springtails, isopods, even That's basically everything I have besides charcoal for the, the retic. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, yeah. And, and I just buy, you know, organic uh, lump charcoal from like Home Depot or Ace Hardware. And, and I just break it up with a hammer and throw that in and mix it. So as far as, uh, remind me again. So what are you, what are you using for your heating elements and, and what temperatures are you ideally trying to get them to? Mm -hmm. uh, so... This is one of the points where I think people fuck it up pretty badly. Um, like general populace like on two monitors. Too much heat? Yeah, everybody yeah. keeps them too damn hot. And I, that's monitors. That's that's most reptiles. Yeah. I, pe I think people keep them too hot. And, and not just too hot, but like they give them no cold zone at all. Um, yeah. And so like... I've seen people keeping tree monitors where like the lowest temp they get to in a 24 hour cycle is 85 degrees. Nope. It is so hot. It is not that hot day round in Indonesia at all. I have a theory. So I'm keeping my green tree pythons and my retics in my garage, all ambient. Uh -huh. And maybe I wouldn't be able to breed them, but I guarantee you I could probably just keep them ambient in that damn garage because they're from the same exact areas and they'd be, pretty fine right um uh, so kind of kind of what my setup is so i'll give you the babies and the adults so for the babies um i'm giving them a 110 basking and this is all surface temperature so i use all i use all like wood or cork bark as their basking surfaces and then i just take a temp gun to it and check the surface um and that's you know 110 is what i'm shooting for 
um and the area like the top of the enclosure surrounding i'm looking for like high 80s low 90s and then the bottom of the enclosure i'm looking for like 74 75 um and then at night i'm letting them drop to 72 um okay, and i cool. see people say don't let them go to eight don't let them go below 82 they'll die i let my adults get to 65 sometimes and they're fine like i've seen the crutch fields get into the low 50s because of the um cold fronts in florida and they're fine too they and he keeps it. outdoor all, all year round right yeah unless it's like below freezing for whatever reason um they keep outdoors year round okay and, and even when you do drop to 72 they still have the opportunity to warm up somewhere yeah except for at night okay oh but okay they never seek it out so okay. i'm looking at i'm looking at temperatures today on these islands that they're at um and that was uh, an that was another thing is where is it reaching over a hundred uh so that's the thing is your son yeah if you're Basking. if you can I, i'm not kidding so i'm in nebraska right um even in nebraska in february if there's a rock sitting yeah, I mean, out you just can the induction that rock. heat yeah and that's what that's what that's all it is so the yeah. branches that are exposed to the sun yeah that's all it is it's just the surface temperature okay okay. my my weather app says that uh later tonight the prediction on aru island is going to be 70 degrees yeah and and there is the one of the main reasons i don't go off those temperatures is because there is microclimates Microclimates, inside of those it gives you a ballpark though um but so there very likely could be areas into the high 60s right um but so that that's kind of what i what i base it off of and and i've noticed that my animals act a lot i don't know how to put it calmer they're they're a lot more relaxed they're they breed better by letting them get to lower temperatures just everything like i've seen a few people that keep their monitors in 80 plus even at night and they'll be posting why does my monitor bury itself in the bedding because it's trying to escape the heat yeah, yeah, there's very cool. few places on this earth that for any period of time stay the same temperature day and night. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I even will say that um, uh, <clears throat> the size of the enclosures you're providing, I mean, let it get down to 69 even if you wanted to, but the top of the enclosure of where the heat was before, you're giving like it has three layers of heat. Yeah. So if it's too cold down there, it's going to chill higher up. <laughs> exactly yeah and and so like for the adults i give them a 135 basking 135 140 um and so that's like even in yeah and and they rarely go directly in the center it's i don't know a foot and a half away from the surface so it's on a wide range Mm -hmm. and so if it's you know right in the center it's 140 but if they go out to the side it's 120 110 105 and so they can pick the zone that they want to lay in um, and that, that's what I think is important is just having a gradient in general. Um, so with the adults, I give them everything from 140 down to 72, basically, or 74. Yeah. Um, so the number one thing that fascinates me the most about monitors is that intelligence. There's something about when you look into a monitor's eyes, you just know that it's like reading your whole entire soul and knows everything about you. Oh yeah. Um, is is it any different for the tree monitors in terms of intelligence? Like a lot of people, when I hear monitor intelligence, the first animal, like like they talk about water monitors or or, you know, even things like black throats and things like that. But like, you know, the whole smaller side of the monitor, um, you know, uh, 
keeping are, are you know, green trees or, or even just tree monitors in general? I mean, what's that intelligence like and how does that translate into their behaviors and mm-hmm. interactions with you? What does that look like? I, I, I would say generally most monitors have similar levels of intelligence. It's just some are more inquisitive than others. And so some will seek out stimulation um, and interaction with you. And so tree monitors generally will, once they're comfortable in their environment, when you walk into a room, they might come up to the glass and just be watching you. Um, and they, I mean, you read everything with them through them flicking their tongue. And so you could tell, like, if they're doing it really fast and short bursts, it's like, it could be them thinking, hey, is this food? What is this? This is new. And they'll, like, investigate and move like their snake. head around it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, really. I, so how... you're looking for the more elongated, slow tongue flicks in terms of, like, hey, I just want to come out. Yeah, pretty much. And, like, and you could kind of tell, um, you can tell a lot about a monitor's like temperament in that moment based on how their tongue is flicking. Like if it's completely not doing anything at all, it's probably scared shitless. If it's rapidly flicking its tongue, it uh, in like long strides, it might be stressed, but not like to the point of being scared. If it's like flicking its tongue and like bringing it bringing it in and licking the side of its mouth, that's typically like it trying to take in more information um, yeah that was something i just recently saw on nerds channel yeah kevin talks about that yeah yeah when the tongue wraps around the side it's really like processing everything that's happening yeah and like really calm yeah and so that's good um and then you have like the food um i don't want to say motivation but like just like the processing of like is this food is it, this is just new what is this um and it's like a lot of the head posturing and stuff yeah and then even that is different when it's like courting or mating behavior. Um, there, there's so much that happens just with their tone alone. Yeah. Are they, are they a pretty social monitor? They species? very much can be. Yeah. Um, I would say more than most. Um, well, really and I know this most. is a question I've brought up to you just talking privately in DMs, but do you want to break down maybe like, the most social of all the different species of tree monitors? Um, I believe it's generally hard to say without having one person having captive bred all of them and having them side by side. I, I would say the, the general consensus of what I've been told over the years is mm-hmm. go with the color you like the best, but like, yeah, literally yeah. Per- personality definitely plays maybe a little bit bigger of a mm-hmm. role to me. So, so that's why I keep asking that question. Right. Yeah. And, and like, Oh, I, I said it earlier, but like with wild caught, you don't know how they were captured. You don't know how they were handled. You don't know how they were kept before they were imported. Um, and so that's going to be a big factor. I would say generally Cordensis seem to be the most outgoing. What color? Uh, the Bioc green tree. Okay, that, cool. That's the green, but With you get more, more spotted. You get yeah. more spotted black contrast on it and okay, cool, less yeah. stripey as the Prasinus. So I will say the, um, the Cordensis are the most variable. I think too, you can have everything from yellow, like almost yellow and lime green and bright green and different patterns. And then like, I have one, I'm sending you a picture of it right now. This thing is dark. It is forest green with like a black pattern. Um, it's insane. 
I I've never seen one as dark as this guy. I sent it to you on Facebook. Um, he's nuts, and yeah, I uh, I love Cordensis, dude. They're they're crazy, and I I always hear generally they're the most calm. Um, and I, I, I don't think they're the most calm, but I think they're the most outgoing. Like my wild caught cordensis will dive out of its enclosure to catch food off the tongs and land on my side. So he's, he's really cool. Okay. Blues so, are the most skittish most of the time I've seen. Of course. The one that's freaking. Yep. Yeah. Look at that looking. thing. Oh, that is pretty bad. Yeah. I just, and then I if just... you go to the next photo, Yeah. The the eyeball on it too is just like surrounded in yellow, dude. He is gorgeous. Thing's a stunner. I rarely go like full screen mode when I'm doing this, and I I just did that. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, that's a cordensis. So you can see the major contrast between them and the normal greens. Yeah. At one point, they were considered the same species, and then these were changed to a subspecies, and then they were elevated to their own. Okay. Um, so as far as like, they're, they're, I mean, they're definitely, they can be a workable monitor and something that someone can really, really enjoy because I, you know, obviously mm. people today with green tree pythons, um, they're still the, you know, there's like two schools of thought, uh, there, there's like, by no means don't interact with them. They're, they're, you know, visual, they get stressed out, blah, blah, blah. And then you have the kind of like the newer people that are coming in that are like, no, these snakes are amazing. Look at me holding mine for 30 minutes and it's fine. I'm somewhere in between. Um, we hold our green tree pythons sometimes. Like if we have company over, I pull them out and I, I hold them. 90% of ours are super chill and will let us hold them. Um, Beox are definitely the asshole that doesn't want to be held. Um, but uh, yeah, like we we have Manaquari, Masul, Saron, Jaipura, Cyclops, uh, a couple Aru. Okay, so um, you are talking about pythons right now right yeah chondros yeah, okay yeah. Just, just uh, and, and they sure. all let, they all let us hold them and they're fine yeah uh yeah. every once in a while we get a, a couple that are kind of crazy but we're not like the i want to sit here and hold this for 30 minutes type like, yeah, nobody it, has that time for that like a, yeah that's what i'm saying i i don't have time for that shit. <laughs> exactly um and so I'll, I'll bring them out and hold them for 10 minutes and take some photos of them but like they get no enjoyment out of it it's just all for me yeah, right so i'm exactly. just like when I'm done with it, I'll let them do their thing again because I don't I don't want to pester them. But I like holding them. I don't think that they're fragile like people say. They're not gonna. Animals don't. I, hot take. Animals don't die from stress. <laughs> if if they die from stress, there's an underlying cause. They're sick with something, and if, the stress if, brought if, it if, up. Yeah. If they're if they're dying from stress, it's no. You stressed them out and they quit eating and starved to death. That's not a death from stress. That's a death from malnourishment. Stuff like yeah. that. Like, and you hear the same thing in tree monitors. Oh, don't do that. You'll kill it from stress. No, you won't. I promise you won't. Even if it's wild caught, if you're holding it every damn day and it's not eating, it looks like you have to tube feed it. That's <laughs> that's pretty much like you can still get it to live. It's not going to die from stress alone. It's there's there's other causes. Yeah. So I am I like is it right to assume at least with a lot of like monitor species that, that, that like a lot of the socialization time that you have with them is generally during feeding? Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Um, when I, I, so I, I kind of said it, but I've like completely 
moved away from the snakes and other stuff and i'm just like all in on the monitors or the tree monitors um i never really cared about like socializing or working with snakes and stuff like that but like with the monitors you know i i have two greens two yellows two blacks cordensis and a blue and then the hatchlings so i i have eight right now of the adults um plus two more hatchlings so i'm at 10 with the babies i hand feed them everything or tongue feed them everything at least a couple of the food food items before i throw more in that's partially just to keep them desensitized and social right um but with the adults one or two feedings a week typically I, I i usually feed like the females i'll feed three times a week and the males i'll feed twice a week and typically with one or two of the feedings i'll like tawn feed and pull them out and walk them around and do stuff with them cool. um with the yellow trees i'm basically forced to anytime i want to feed the female the male is such a fat bastard that if I don't, <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I lure him out. I get him onto my forearm and I do this away from the enclosure and then I feed her over here. <laughs> I have a cat that's the same way with treats. Same. I have yep. to, I have to yeah, lure I have the other to, one over. I have to distract him out of the enclosure mm-hmm. and then pull the food away from him and give it to her. Um, and so that's most of my interaction that's with him. Awesome. But So that's two or three times a week that I do that with him. Now, um, in, in terms of enrichment and handling how often does handling become a part of their enrichment and Uh, any target training when it is at their own volition okay so when they're looking like they want to come interact yeah when they are there's a point where like what with the male yellow tree this is a new thing for him it's in the last month and a half he will sit up at the window with his head just like cocked to the side watching me like hey bro let me out and i open the door and i'll sit there with my arm out and he'll ton flick me and walk away and come back and ton flick me and walk away and come back and then jumps on my shoulder and so he's just like building up the nerve to do it but then so i'm not grabbing him and forcing him out because mm-hmm. when you do that it's just going to be so much longer before they do it on their own i, I was thinking in my head with monitors and that higher level attention and you're forced to do choice-based handling because if you force interaction mm-hmm. with them they're never going to trust you yeah and then that will set back if they're willing to tong feed or eat in front of you yeah um, you can reverse a lot of yeah. gain that you've done by breaking that trust exactly I, yeah. I feel like they hold the memories a lot more a lot they better do, than any snake species they do and it's so crazy there was one point where we had to kind of manhandle our our male green tree monitor like three years ago and still to this point he will like we've had him for five years he was really good for a while until this interaction there's times where he will be up at the door like scratching at the door trying to get out I open the door. He goes to walk to me. He tongue flicks me, recognizes my smell, and runs the fuck away. Man, he remembers dude. it. He remembers 100%. Um, and that's why it's so important to not let them associate you with a bad event. And yeah. that's that's another thing Kevin said. Uh, and it just makes so much sense. Yeah, I mean, like, removing negative interactions, like any, yeah. any negative... I mean, it's the same thing with retics. The more negative interactions you have with a retic, um, the the more you're reinforcing, you know, whatever it's, 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 you know, fight, flight or free system is in or, or whatever the case may be. And so sometimes like I had my wild caught female and she was, uh, nervous when I got her 
crazy food response, but like she didn't trust me and um she would randomly just like I would I would pick her up and she would just start like flinging and just like mm. wanting to get away and never really like struck defensively or anything, but like was constantly just you can tell she was terrified when I had to take her out. So for three months straight, whenever I had to, um, I was feeding her smaller meals at this time, but I would only remove her when, so I basically, I would feed her a, a small meal. She would wrap, I would put her in a holding tub and then I'd give her the other half of her meal after another very small meal. I would open up the tub. I would give it to her, she would wrap, and then I'd pick her up and I'd put her in her enclosure. And that was all the interaction that I did with her for like three months. And now if if someone comes in my garage and they say, yeah, I want to hold like a big snake, but not that big of a snake. And one that's like, obviously not mean, like I will pull out the wild caught Kalatoa. Mm-hmm. Damn. It's just eliminating that whole thing of I'm forcing you out. It's like, no, let yeah. me give you food and distract you. Let me clean, give you another one and put you back in. And she realized I wasn't a threat. Yep. No, exactly. Yeah, dude. Um, and monitors are very similar to that. And if, if you can like bridge the gap with like, you know, getting them to taunt feed and sometimes getting wild caught to taunt feed is the hardest part. You have to like, actually like, you know, fully like hide around the side of the enclosure and just stick your arm in <laughs> and just like hold it still and hope they come up and grab the food. And even then most of the time they don't. So like I I've gotten to the point where I have some strategies with animals like this where like I'll put food in and I will hide around the side of the enclosure and I will wait there for 10 or 15 minutes until I hear them pick it up and then when they start to eat it I'll move out so they see me and then they freeze and they're either going to stay frozen for a minute and then start eating it again or drop it and run. And sometimes they drop it and run, but if you do that a few times, they eventually realize, okay, I can eat in front of them. And then you can start trying to taunt feed, and then they'll take it off the taunts and eat in front of you. And then you can slowly work them towards coming to you for the food. And it, it there's it's like a nine step process. But I mean, it's well, I think it that so I times. think that's kind of an animal uh, behavior one hundred and one. I mean. When when an animal's eating, that's one of its most vulnerable times. So oh, yeah. if you have a naturally skittish animal, and it, it's already having a hard time tongue feeding, you come in front of it as it's trying to take down its meal. It, it's gonna have to reassess. Mm -hmm. And and not to just you know um, boast this dude the whole show, but uh, the second monitor lizard that I ever bought was a long term captive adult blue tree monitor he had been in this other guy's care for five years this guy had never seen him eat in five years just from the shit that i had learned from watching nerds videos from kevin showing how to tong feed and work with skittish animals and stuff and just doing some of the mention methods that i mentioned this animal that had never eaten in front of somebody in five years i had it walking on me for food in two months yeah it's just, you just got to stick to the methods and, and actually put in the effort. And sometimes it's a, a half an hour of fucking standing still doing nothing, but. And kind of taking, taking yourself out of the equation a little bit too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the last thing we want to do is force interaction, but yeah, I can imagine just like holding on almost like just like. Yeah. You just got to have your phone right here <laughs> and one arm up here and you're just, okay, just waiting for it. <laughs> 
can just imagine your shoulder starting to burn. Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta have something to rest it on for sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, that's why captive bred though. You don't gotta worry about that shit with captive. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. For sure. Can Can you take us through? Um, so real quick, just like very basic and, and like, what, what are you feeding them mostly? Uh, so I breed grasshoppers. Um, the hatchlings I'm feeding to like almost exclusively grasshoppers with the occasional cricket crickets. Um, I'm trying to get them used to trying multiple food items. So I'll start doing egg and pinky mice and stuff. Like, so I'm already doing that at a month old. Um, but like 99% grasshoppers. Um, they won't take dubia at this size because they want large food items, but for the dubia to be large enough that they notice them, they're too big for them to eat because they're like oddly shaped. Yeah. Um, but with the adults, the males is like almost exclusively dubia. Um, some grasshoppers and then the females are almost exclusively quail, which is why I just bought a thousand quail. (laughs) Is that just to build up for breeding just since they're mm-hmm. breeding so often yep the that quail have less fat more protein than mice so can you break down what it's like breeding these guys is it fairly i mean i feel like with monitors it's really not straightforward but just like what what does it take to to be able to get them to breed successfully um well it's one of those things where it's like the first clutch there's a lot of trial and error and you have to figure out what triggers the follicle development. Um, it's not just going to be cut and dry every time. Sometimes if you just increase her food, she'll start cycling. Even if it's the first clutch, a lot of the times though, you got hoops to jump through. If you increase the food and they don't do anything, you got to try messing with temperatures. You got to try messing with light cycles, um, it's mostly the temperatures in my opinion, um, or the amount of food they're taking in. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty much just a lot of experimenting. Um, yeah. typically once you get through the first one or two cycles th- by the third one, it's just kind of like a cakewalk. They're in a rhythm. They, they definitely build, um, uh, they're like conditioned at that mm-hmm. point to just go through the motions. Um, and yeah. also usually the first one or two cycles are typically all infertile too. Oh, okay. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I mean, mm. snake, at least with retakes, they kind of function the same way. Once you get them to have that first cycle, they basically repeat that same thing the year before, but start a month earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if they're going to go again, and then it's kind of the same thing, you'll notice the same behaviors, increased food response, slow down feeding response, and then, you know, off of food and then the pairing and all that stuff. But, um, so you so i get different ways to cycle them there's temp cycling there's there's food cycling and and is there any so i know with with green tree pythons you know a lot of people also consider light cycling is there is there like a difference in the way that you navigate lights or are your lights set the same the whole year when i temp cycle that's also what i do i don't just change the temperature when i temp cycle so i mentioned my um my basking's typically at 140 and i have Mm -hmm. two of them at that temp when I temp cycle, I turn one off completely and I set the other to like 110. And then my lights are on a 14 on, 10 off. When I temp cycle, I go to 8 on, 16 off. Nice. Cool. So 
I, so just, I just keeping it cooler longer and yeah and i even dropped the temperature because they're in my living room uh, i even dropped the temperature in my house a few degrees at night to try to affect it that way too so i i'm, I, I'm not I used saying to do it, the same thing when i had them in my house mm -hmm. I'm, and i'm not saying it takes all of those steps i'm just saying one of them is working and i can't pinpoint which one so i just do all <laughs> so of them because oh one of the eight things i'm throwing at the wall is sticking Right. So let's just keep doing all eight. Yeah. And, and it, I used Casa strips, um, the smart plug strips. And so just on my phone, I can go in and say, okay, schedule light, turn on, um, 7am turn off 9am. And then when I want to, um, start the, like the temp drops and stuff, I'll switch it from seven on or on at 7am and off at 9pm to on at 9am and off at 5pm. So I, okay. I can do all of it from my phone and I can even set all those schedules. So they're always there and I can just click on and off which ones I want currently working. And you have the, uh, incubator behind you. That's what it looks yeah. like. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was going to say in terms of incubation, how I know tree Python eggs are incredibly hard to incubate. How are the tree monitor eggs? Uh, a hundred and right now i'm at 85.5 degrees for okay. 100 for 160 days that's hard see that that's the okay similar temperatures double the time oh that yeah, is almost triple the time yeah no i mean literally tri i mean it's what 55 60 days yeah for, for green for trees Andros, yeah yeah and so geez. Well, uh, oh i was talking about retics oh, oh yeah, yeah i'm talking we're, about we're, green tree we're, we're a retic podcast lucas remember that <laughs> yeah I mean, you just got your chondros but we're, well we're talking about the same islands that these animals are podcast. from <laughs> no i'm not even close um but i think it's uh interesting that same temperature but i don't know why it takes so much longer but that's the hard part for me like i i yeah. I hate that it takes, you know, 80 to 90 days for retics. Um, it, it's a long three months. And I even decreased my incubator temps this year again to kind of fiddle to see if I have a much higher female ratio. Um, and uh, I just the idea of waiting 90 days is rough. I can't imagine nearly double that. Yeah. Uh, so what kind of helps is the fact that every 90 days she's laying eggs. So she laid eggs two weeks ago but i and so those hatch in february but she also laid them 90 days before that so those hatch next month so okay so, <laughs> so yeah, it just... it kind of feels like it cuts down the weight because when she lays them a month and a half later i have more hatching do you, do you put like a piece of tape and you write the delay date yeah there's uh, you box? can kind of see it in the front of the where is it like right here there's a piece of tape with um uh the predicted hatch date on it because it's almost consistently 157 days like on the dot <laughs> That's um and so like there's times where um i i've had it go 158 and i'm like all right this is weird so i'll pick up an egg and rub it and it'll fucking pip in my hand that's awesome. <laughs> that's I've, I've had a snake take its first <clears throat> breath in the egg in my hand before i can't imagine just like a freaking monitor just shooting out of the egg yeah, I have a few videos of it, of me, like, rubbing the egg, and then I feel it just, like, swirling around in the egg, and it just bursts out. That's pretty, That's pretty crazy. Cool. So, yeah. so they have uh, an egg tooth, I'm assuming, just the same yeah. as a... Yeah, right on right on their top lip. Yeah. Yep. Also, is it not crazy that some of these monitors, they, they are so shoved in those eggs by the time that they're developed? Oh, yeah, these eggs are, like, 
this big around, basically. That's um, insane. Hold on. I'll, I'll actually grab one for you. One sec. Sweet. I need to vent this tub anyway, so I will actually just grab this whole whole bin. So this is the clutch. In terms action. of venting, how, what's your philosophy on that with these eggs? Uh, take the lid off, leave it for 30 seconds. Uh, just in terms off. of how often during the incubation? Uh, not at all until the last month and a half. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. Look at look. That's a that nice is little. full egg right there. Yeah. But yeah, these um they plump up a lot about this stage of incubation, and if I don't start venting them right now, they will assuredly fucking burst because um, they will rupture. Yeah, so. so just building up way too much moisture that the eggs just kind of blow up? Yep, literally. Are the exactly eggs a thinner that. skin than, say, a python egg? I would say thicker. Oh, thicker, okay. Yeah, I, they're, I, they're I, a lot harder. They're they're not pliable at all. It feels oh. like a fucking actual like chicken egg. Oh. It's solid. But when it gets to the last week or so of incubation... When they're soaking up all the moisture out of the egg, the egg dimpling. becomes really pliable. Like leathery. Yeah, it's leathery. Yep. Yeah, I will say my last clutch that I incubated, um, other than the male partho that I had in there that died, um, everyone still made it. But I, I could tell that two weeks into incubation, a lot of the eggs were like bulging on the bottom where it was mm -hmm. touching the uh, perlite and it was just oh, excess, yeah. excess moisture. So I drilled two more holes to make sure that they didn't nice um, that's part of the reason why i haven't done direct in medium is because i worry about my ratios being correct or it being just like a percentage off and oh now it's dry so it's gonna fucking shrink or it's too wet so now it's gonna burst i see it so much so i've gotten to the point where i just do sim and then based on where i live it, i feel like it affects my incubator a lot Mm -hmm. so like with the fact that she just laid these eggs two weeks ago and it's still humid here i don't have to do anything but when she lays hopefully again in three months um and you know it's december january ish or whatever um those eggs i will have to put in the incubator and immediately put moss on them uh to try to make sure that they plump up a little bit because if i don't they start to dimble so and it's a it's I, a much drier climate out in Omaha in in the winter. Yeah, way drier. And okay, so because I because I, I live in the that. desert, so it, it sounds like <clears throat> if I were to try try it, I would almost have to do that year yep. round. But yeah, if you uh, if you don't fix the dimpling of the eggs right away, if they don't crash at the end of incubation, the eggs like just fucking collapse from the moisture being wicked away. Um, and so it's just like death sentence. It'll yeah, kill the babies and the eggs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. And, uh, man, 157 days. No, thanks. Yeah. Oh dude. Uh, somebody in Europe incubated green tree monitor eggs at 78 Fahrenheit and it took 250 days. I wow. It. Yeah. It's and they hatched. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how like just you know a degree or two too hot will kill them immediately but you can literally incubate them almost 10 degrees lower than the standard and they'll they'll still hatch but it'll yeah, just take away which is why i think we're if there's a spectrum i think we're here yeah we're at the top end and that's why if we get it 
a degree higher than we are, eggs die. But if it goes five lower, we're fine. I think generally we're incubating too hot. Yeah, I think the general consensus for retake eggs, like even just a decade ago, was like 89, 90. And, and yeah, now right. you see people incubating all day at 86 and a half. Yep. Um, and monitors were 86, and now people are moving closer to 83, 84. Yeah, I mean, he I kills... can definitely see people going down. Uh, green tree pythons, 87 and a half. Like, yeah, I, I would say generally 84 seems to be a really good temperature for pythons and, and monitors. Yeah. But... That's why if my incubator ever went to shit and I'm keeping everything in, in ambient um, and I keep my garage at around like, you know, at the highest during the day, it's 84. I mean, my average temperature is about 82 and a half to 83 um the eggs are still going to be fine <laughs> oh yeah yeah no no doubt yeah that's nice my dude my house gets so hot um i worry about my incubator overheating uh in yeah. the summer i have so I, I have six adult enclosures that have two basking lights each plus the arcadias and the uv that's or nice. arcadias and the grow lights and then i have four of the individual animal enclosures and then two hatchling enclosures. And so, you know, I'm, I'm creating all this heat, but also my HVAC sucks. So in the summer, I have multiple days where my house is hitting 83 degrees. Oof. Is um, that a separate small room that you have your incubator in there? Yeah, I'm in I'm in like my computer room. But have, this... you ever, have you ever thought about running just like a separate window AC unit? That That's what I do with my snake room. I have that it wouldn't really work in this window, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but I have completely gone off the deep end and invested in a lot of smart home stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I mentioned that I have smart home, like smart power strips for all my lights and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, have you ever heard of the app If This Then That? No. No. It, it is basically a way to make two like smart device apps communicate with each other and so i have a smart thermostat right and then i also have my smart power strips um as a safety net and precaution to make sure i don't kill all of my fucking animals and my eggs i set this perimeter or parameter that basically says that when my it, it connects my smart thermostat to my power strips and it's called if this, then that. So then I say if this, and then select my, eco, my Ecobee smart thermostat. And then say if this device reads at 79 Fahrenheit temperature in the house, then turn off basking lights. Cool. And so when I'm not home, I could still have all my shit turn off. And I know my animals won't overheat. That's amazing. I did not know about that because that that's super, that's a game changer. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Because I have I have some of my smart stuff that I can connect to my home kit on my iPhone and some that don't. And um yeah, that's a genius freaking idea. Yeah, if this then that I think it cost me twenty bucks a year to be able to connect Oh, that's twenty two light bulbs to this app to be able yeah. to say, Hey, turn all of these off if my house hits seventy nine degrees. Twenty dollars is nothing for peace of mind. Yeah. Seriously. Oh dude. Twenty a year. Like Fuck yeah. Um, I would do but, that a month. Right, exactly. Especially in the summer. Like, um, But then yeah. the other thing that I'm about to start doing, 
uh, as an even steeper precaution, but also I like it cold when I sleep. <laughs> uh, yeah. There is, uh, to go even further into smart home stuff, there is a new brand of smart Wi-Fi vents that you can put in your ventilation systems. Oh, is that, that can... the... Um... Oh, man, what's the name of that that system? I was looking at them for the garage and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's really cool that you can, like, close the freaking vents. Flare, maybe? Yeah, Flare. Yeah, the flare. puck. Yeah, they have pucks on them. Yeah, yeah. So, basically, what I could do with that is I like this room to sit 74. I like my monitor room to sit 75. I like my bedroom to sit 70. So, then I can just say, okay, uh set those temperatures on the pucks and if my ac is running i can set the um my bedroom to 70 and then it will auto kick more um cool air into my bedroom so that temperature goes down while others go up because it closes the vents it's so nice so um in terms of like you know let, let's say um you are wanting to get some some information like someone is interested in getting a green tree python um you know, what, what are some key considerations? What are some things that you would definitely tell them like challenges, the pros, the cons requirements? Like, like, what are you, you've said that you've mentioned you've, you've sold to many first time monitor keepers. Like what are the things that you really hone in on for those people that want to keep them? Because, you know, we're, we're a retic podcast and people definitely love tree monitors. And so I'm sure many people are going to listen to this and like really want one. Like, what do you have to say for those people? Um, absolutely number one thing is avoid glass at all costs um i know i've been saying they're not as fragile as people say the only regard where i say they are fragile is humidity that's it um and and that's why glass is so bad for them um set up a good yeah um so uh he mentioned earlier that my male black tree is missing six inches of his tail uh, my male yellow tree is missing six inches of his tail. The female yellow is missing four of hers. All pre-existing from before I received them. All of this is related to humidity. Um, so their tails taper off to such a fine point that um, when it's too dry and they have shed issues, the shed will constrict around the tip of their tail yeah. and cut off blood flow and cause necrosis, and it will creep up their tail uh, until they start losing major chunks of it, and you have to have it amputated. Yeah, that that's a common thing in a lot of retake babies that a lot of people don't realize. Like, if you don't make sure that tip of the tail is cut, but so is it is it too little humidity? Um, and so you're saying that glass is just like it. it, it it's it, too much ventilation on top. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, oh, that's what you're talking about. Like those. Yeah, like, like the tanks. The, the screen on yeah. top of glass, plus there only being ventilation on the top. So then that heat light coming from above is just obliterating all of the moisture in the air yeah. while having no um no humidity being trapped inside it's just a recipe for fucked up sheds so, so you, stay... you do want a little bit of ventilation even around your basking lights no uh no, not you want it pretty form fit yeah so i do my um i was just saying in terms of it's basically trapping the heat in because there's nothing um except for this mesh uh, and, and it's just obliterating the moisture in yeah. the air. Just it, it, you're basically have a hot box. Um, yeah. so for new keepers, stay away from the mesh tops and the glass tanks and things like that. And, yeah. and, and I, 
Yeah, I I, uh, I really like the new Dubia.com enclosures. Like they're very cost effective, but I've I've even told Darian myself like I can't personally use these until you figure out a remedy to seal off a bunch of that ventilation. Yeah, I'm waiting for Focus Cube to come out with like a top for them. <laughs> yeah, literally. And and that that would make them functional. They are great. They're well designed. They're way better than those shitty Zen habitats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I can't stand Zen. Um and they're nice people. I've talked to them. They're great. I can't stand the enclosure. I've had, it, I've had just one. Just with the species that we work with, it, it just is not feasible to put those no. animals in there. Yeah. But I, I had a Zen at one point, and this thing, no matter what I did, would not sit even. It sat like this. Mm -hmm. And because of it, the plexi being here, there's a gap in the fucking yep. window here. And I had monitors like jumping and getting their tails caught. And then they'd just be dangling there by their tail. Oh, no. Yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. We wanted to blow the thing up with Tannerite. <laughs> we almost <laughs> did. Um, Would have been fun. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, that's that's the number one thing. Go with PVC, no matter what brand you go with. Um, just, what else just would you sure tell anyone interested? Um. As I said earlier, cover the walls, set up a misting system if you have to. Just do your planning. And as long as you have the enclosure planned out top to bottom, walls furnished, you have an idea or access to the food that you need. Um, and then you, you figured out your temperature gradients. You don't have to do plants, but you can. I like the plants. I think they look nice, but it's just for us, right? I, I mean, yes, but I, I, I feel like the, they definitely can benefit from the foliage the and coverage. Yeah, yeah the coverage. I mean, but, but and then, I mean, you're you're going for, I mean, even if you are breeding them and selling them, it's still a display animal. Oh, yeah. To yeah, yeah, for every, sure. Almost every reptile keeper that wants to keep tree monitors. Yeah, so I just you might as well go that mandatory. extra step. Yeah, I just won't say it's mandatory because I know of, of it can course. be hard to keep plants with stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Um, but but I also won't say it's just for us because at the end of the day, when they're out in the wild, I mean, they have an ecosystem from the soil down to right. the roots to the plants. And it, it's it's an entire ecosystem that is creating these animals the opportunity to thrive. And, and yeah. I mean, replicating that in captivity, like certainly we can keep them lesser. Yeah, but I definitely think that they're. I mean, with the grow lights, the UV, everything that you need to get them to thrive, it's got to be benefiting them some way. Yeah. Oh no, I can agree with that for sure. Um, but then I guess on the last point on why to avoid uh, glass, um, for whatever reason, house cats seem to love trying to get at uh, tree monitors, and I've seen thirty too many posts of, "Hey, my cat ripped the screen on the top of my aquarium and uh, got into the enclosure and killed my monitor." Yeah. So, and some of these are captive bred, and so imagine paying two thousand dollars for your house cat to kill it. Well, and that, if that's I paid two thousand dollars for an animal, it's not in a glass freaking enclosure. I'll tell you that's that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Got to be out your mind. It's a big reason why if I get into tree monitors, I'm keeping the retics to one, maybe two clutches at the most a year because, I mean, I I have house cats. I I know how much they like to look at the retics already. So. You know, if I don't have them in their own separate room, I, I can't feel yeah. good about 
keeping right. them. I know the I, cats would just antagonize them all the li- time. Literally well, in the yeah. spring, every time I come downstairs, my cats are in the kitchen looking out the back window and they're making that stupid clicking noise because they're cackling. They're seeing, yeah. Yeah. Because they see birds, they see lizards, they see something. And I just know that if a monitor was anywhere around, they'd be doing the same damn thing. Yeah. And they would kill it in a heartbeat. It sucks. I, I see it minimum, I would say three or four times a year of somebody's tree monitor being killed by their cat and i'm like that's so frustrating look man if you're if you're desperate to keep it in glass at least put it in a room where the where the animal can't get to it or yeah. maybe it's just not the right time you know especially for um, your what 125 dollars adoption fee for your cat versus your two thousand dollar right uh, but that's that's i guess on, on that conversation too of like advice for people wanting to get into it don't put yourself in the in this box no pun intended of um hey i just spent 2500 on this animal i don't want to also spend 500 on the enclosure no it's mandatory it's part of the cost of the animal it's it's not just a 2500 animal you have all these costs yeah have the Um, enclosure before right (laughs) yeah no exactly but i've heard that alone three times this week from people that had already bought tree monitors and stuffed them in like a 12 by 12 by 18 exoterra and then asked me my opinion and i'm like you don't want to hear it I'm going to tell you it sucks. Yeah. Um, and we and hear the like, same thing all the time as retic breeders. And, you yeah. know, uh, even though it works, I see far too often people setting up hatchlings to juveniles and just sterilite tubs. And there's just something that doesn't sit right with me on that. Yeah. No, I, I hear that for sure. But yeah. And, and like just earlier this week and they didn't buy the animal for me because I absolutely will not sell to somebody unless like, I know them and have seen the animal or, and, and have seen the enclosure that the animal's going in. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm like, I'll take like, okay, we have an agreement. You're going to put it in this PVC enclosure. Cool. I'll take your deposit. Let me know when the enclosure is done. Okay. I can ship now. Let me see the enclosure. That's like, I'm pretty strict on it. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like fortunately for me, just, you know, breeding retakes, a lot of the people that have bought my animals, I know have kept other retakes and they're responsible right. keepers. And, but there are a few people that, um, I've had to ask for pictures. A lot of them are happy to show me. Um, and well, then there's I have some that'll just ghost though. Yeah. I have, oh, I have, yeah. Yeah. That happened to Nathan recently. And I've actually had some that I'm like, Hey, you know, can you send me a picture of your, your thermostat, your setup, like, and, and, you know, and, and any other snakes that you might have. And I've had people like go off on me. Um, and I'm like, that that's the number way or number one way to not get an animal from me. Like it's right. No, it's not me trying to like undermine your keeping or anything like that. I I want to make sure that this animal is going to thrive for, a while yeah it's yeah, not because I, I don't believe in your capabilities i just i this is an animal i brought into the world like a, <laughs> yeah dude I, I had a i had somebody message me a couple weeks ago and they're like hey just picked up this captive bred tree monitor from so and so um i'm wanting a, a a mate for it and they're like so i'm wondering if you have any females available and this thing's like a month old and i'm like you know it's a male i know they wouldn't tell you that because i know them um I can I can happily say pretty much all of us breeding tree monitors are pretty close knit and we all get along really well and we're actually most of us are really good friends. Um, I, and, I've loved uh, that just kind of lurking on the tree monitor groups. Yeah, dude. Like Brandon Van Asten, Brian Susan, Nick Gill, Brian Whitehead. Like 
I can, if I ever need anything, I have questions, I can message any of them and same back and forth. Like I was hanging out with Brandon Van Aston and Brian Susan this weekend at Tinley, which are like two of the biggest guys in tree monitors right now. So it's cool getting to sit down and just have like a, a chat with them. And like, there's, I, I can genuinely say between us breeding them, there's never been any animosity or anything. Just fucking awesome. Um, but I digress. Um, somebody that bought one of their animals messaged me, asked for a, a female. I'm like, how could you possibly know it's male? They wouldn't say that. Well, I got a feeling. I'm like, okay, well, that's dumb. But I'm like, okay, what what enclosure would you put it in if I sold you one? And they're like, well, I would just put it in with the other one. And I'm like, nope, you don't want to raise them together. And then argued with me about raising them together. And I'm like, I'm telling you, you don't want to raise two monitors together. Um, and so fun fact for those out there that don't know, uh, monitors when you raise them together, let's say you have one male that's slightly bigger than the female, that younger one or smaller one. I like the female air quotes. Yeah. Uh, it, it will be submissive and become a submissive male if it is a male and it will intentionally not show any of its sexual, uh, reproduction whatsoever. It will not sexually mature until it gets away from that male. So whereas typically, male monitors develop like bulges like hemipenal bulges it won't have any of it and it will actually display as a female to not be competitive with the other male that's so insane. if you raise monitors like a survival together, mechanism I yeah it guess. is so if you raise monitors together and you and let's say you have a group of three monitors that you raise together it will almost assuredly be a 1.2 so just don't raise them together animals are wild yeah that's yeah. that's pretty insane like i'm a not drop my nutsack because i'm just i don't want to be a i don't want to get you. beat up yeah yeah it's crazy Jeez. um but yeah and then anyways after that conversation he was like oh well uh maybe i'll just wait and get one later because i just have this one enclosure only here's what it looks like and he has it in a three by 18 by three exoterra and mm -hmm. the bottom is completely filled with water. There is no substrate. It is all water. And I'm like, hey, talk to somebody else. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> yeah. That, so so to kind of like uh, make this in very simple terms for you people that, you know, the question is directed to, like, what new keeper, like, just be prepared. Like, do, do your research, like, understand the animals a little bit and have the enclosure set up and ready to go. Don't don't go buy one and then be like, oh, I need to get a cage ready in a week because it's probably going to take you a few days if not longer to, to really, especially for your first one, I can imagine to really dial in your temps. Mm -hmm. Cause that, that's a big range. You got to provide them with different lightings and all that stuff. And then you have to consider the ambient in your room that you're having them. It's, mm -hmm. it's, a, and that's, that's the biggest barrier that I've jumping into like a lizard or monitor. It's just, um, there's a lot of variables to get their, their shit oh, yeah. down. Right. I can typically that's why say I've is... been lurking for years and, and haven't right. bought I could typically say figuring out the temps actually isn't that hard at this point, at least as far for me, but I've built so many goddamn enclosures, but I could usually direct people pretty well. So like, you know, the halogen bulbs that you could buy from Home Depot up until six months ago, mm -hmm. um, if you bought a 75 watt of those and you put it in a three foot enclosure and you put the basking ledge about one foot below it, that will give you the 110 temp and then everything around it will be high 80s and then the rest of its 70s and you're good with what ambient temp in the room 
doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. No, not really. If if it's if it's way too cold, well, uh, if as long as it's not you know seventy five plus in the room. If it's colder, if you have the room like sixty six, tape up some of the vents. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's definitely, definitely, definitely. If the the ambient starts to get above seventy five, it can start to increase those. Yeah. So then you gotta like dial back the basking a little bit and stuff. But okay. Um, but yeah, generally, I don't think it's very hard. Um, it's it a lot more of it is figuring out the height of the basking right. than it is the bulb. Yeah. Get a bulb okay. that you get that get a bulb that can get the enclosure as a whole to the ambient that you want it to. And then just mess with the height of the basking platform. Which is what ambient do you typically shoot for? 80? Yeah. Like the, like if the enclosure is like, let's say a six foot enclosure, right? Um, I'm looking for the top four feet of the enclosure or sorry that I'm looking for the top two and a half feet of the enclosure uh, to be like 82 and up. Okay. And then the bottom three and a half feet to be seventies or like 80, low eighties to low seventies. Okay. Yep. Um, any other things that you would recommend to people interested in them kind of advice that you to give them? Uh, well, I have, I have one, one more question. Cause I feel like we could honestly go another hour, hour and a half talking about tree monitors. <laughs> uh, but I, I noticed that you run a misking system in, in all of your enclosures. I know their humidity is a big part of their husbandry. How, how important is a misking system? Is it uh, feasible if you only have a handful of enclosures to just be, you know, misting on your own? Uh, so I actually haven't ran my misking in like two months. Um, and it's because how I mentioned, I swapped out my substrate barriers yeah. Um, and I've gone from an eight inch to a 24 inch oh, that's by plenty. doing so I was able to add a lot more bedding and now I just saturate the bedding way more and that harbors and creates way more humidity. And so instead of spraying my mist cane three or four times a day for a minute each, I bring in my hose from outside and I just drench each enclosure once a week. And that basically keeps my humidity where I need it for the entire week. Yeah. And, and and I might go in with a pump sprayer after three days and just lightly mist the walls and the branches. That's it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I feel like with that increase of the substrate and more soil with the plants in there and the exchanges and everything that's going mm -hmm. on, it's creating just I, naturally more humidity. Yeah. I've, I've realized this year specifically that I was doing a lot more work than I needed to. And if I would have just provided more, uh, more substrate, I could have been saving myself a lot of effort from spraying the misgene. Yeah. Um, on that note, um, if you don't mind, uh, can you share with our guests where they can find you on social media, where they can see your, you know, monitors and, um, and I, I mean, just kind of, again, a, a chance to put your plugs in. Oh yeah, man. Um, so YouTube is at riser. Uh, so R Y Z R R. Um, I have two videos that I'm working on right now there. One is with the hatchlings that I got going, um, that actually just went to most of them went to their new homes and then working on some like feeding videos and socializing and stuff. Um, it's the same at for Instagram, it's riser. And then on Facebook, even, I don't care. You can message me on Facebook. It's Cody cop first name C O D E Y. Um, 
and that that usually alone is enough to bring it up not many people have their name spelled wrong so (laughs) (laughs) i usually just say my mom's dyslexic she didn't even realize she put an extra e in there so (laughs) that's awesome um all right man well i i mean i I, like i said with nathan especially with just how how uh just kind of free this this interview was It, it we could probably sit here and talk for a couple hours but before we go ahead and and uh send you on your ways, any last kind of comments or things, you know, whether they're uh, discrepancies or things that you kind of wanted to share about just tree monitors in general, you definitely have me and my interest peaked a thousand percent. Heck yeah, man. No, um, I think I pretty well covered everything. Uh, like I said, I, I, I'm pretty fresh on the topic of talking about all this from having done it all weekend. Um, right. But uh, no, I mean, they're, they're just fun. Just, Go easy. Don't force yourself on them if you get one. Plan an enclosure in advance. Show the enclosure to the whoever it is that you reach out to as the breeder. Um, ask them their input. Uh, at shit, I don't care if you if you buy off Nick Gill or Brian Susan and you want to ask me my opinion on the enclosure, you can do that too. I don't mind helping other people's customers. It, it doesn't hurt me at all. If 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 I can get the peace of mind knowing my friend's animal is being cared for well. That's fine for me. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna yell at you and go back to them. Across um, the board, that's how the reptile industry should be. Yeah, it, it um, should be. Unfortunately, I've had some opposite experiences, but I, I, I can appreciate that that sentiment mm-hmm. and gesture. Would you know more than you imagine? Right. Yeah, and the way I see it too is just like, hey, maybe if I help this guy out, he'll buy off me in the future too. Like you never know. Um, right. And and that's not my motivation, but it's there. But um, it's good customer service. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, there's numbers and finances involved with keeping these animals. And at the end of the day, uh, when you give people time, even if they haven't given you their money, it's always an opportunity to earn their business. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. And then uh, try to like if you want to try breeding, just try to buy your uh, offspring from uh, different breeders. Um, I, I don't like the idea of hybrid or of uh, inbreeding. Um, so even for people for my, for that reach out to me saying they want to get into breeding, I won't sell pairs. I will only sell one and I'll refer you to one of my friends to get another one. Cool. Um, just cause I, I don't want to do that unless I know you plan to have multiple bloodlines. Um, and, and that's a, a different topic. Uh, and don't hybridize. <laughs> that's a short one. <laughs> that, that was one thing that I wanted to bring up, but yeah, I feel like that could have been a, a whole other yeah, uh, the I'll, I'll I'll give you the TLDR rundown of that. Um, <laughs> there's already few enough of them as is. We don't need to muddy up the short list of bloodlines that we have by producing hybrids, right. and then possibly muddying muddying the genes going forward by selling them and having people not disclose that they're hybrids. Hey, yeah. hey, we we talked almost about this exact same topic last week. So nice. yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. They're cool though, man. Uh, there's there's even some other cool shit that I that I didn't get to go over. Like, um, I know one of the questions you had, I think, prepared was just like fun facts about them and stuff. And it's just like they are the only reptile on the planet, or the only monitor lizard on the planet is tree monitors that will use their limbs to grab bugs or food. Yeah, they, they can, figure out they puzzles. Can reach, they can reach in to like cork and stuff and pull food out That's and they badass. will pin it down and bite it. They're the only ones that do it. I have videos of me. I'm, just, I'm waiting. Dubia. I'm waiting for them like on command to just like flick you off. Right. And... <laughs> no shit. I, um, 
But I have videos of me like stuffing dubia in syringes and holding it up, and they'll like reach in and pull them out. That's yeah, I, I believe it's it. reptilatus or reptiliatus. Yeah, has some videos of uh, his monitor yeah, his, grabbing his it, uh, grabbing crickets out of a glass vial and pulling yep. them up. And that what that monitor was produced by Brandon Van Asten from Canadian Cold Blood too. So. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. So you've if you're told in Canada, nothing and... but good things about him. Yeah, yeah, and if you're in Canada and don't feel like waiting a year and a half to get a monitor from me, hit up Brandon because <laughs> it the the CITES form to ship a monitor to Canada is brutal. I did it last year, um, this year. I applied for the form last February. I got to ship the animal this June. Jeez. Okay. So yeah, it's it's rough. That's that's a lengthy process. Yeah, I know we have him, a couple of Canadian friends that watch the podcast. So yep. when him they hear getting, this and get totally enamored with tree monitors. Yeah, him Canadian getting monitors here is easier than us getting monitors there. So, okay. Yep. Awesome. Well, hey, Cody, seriously, thanks for coming on. I'm sure once I start getting into tree monitors and everything, I'm going to ask you to be back on and I'm going to be up your ass trying to figure out my enclosures once they get here so uh you know i just look forward to talking with you in the future yeah dude no problem uh i mean you know any questions just hit me up appreciate Cody, it yeah it was great having you all man um have a good one and uh yeah i'll definitely probably be hitting you up with some questions as well yeah dude well nice to formally or formally meet you guys yeah absolutely man yeah have a good one cody Anything you're gonna bring us back together? Yours? Uh, yeah, yours? yeah. Let me. Let always me do forget that. about the wrap up. <laughs> yep, I always forget about the wrap up. But uh, guys, this is the uh, wor- worst idea ever was to do species spotlight. By the way. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling we're gonna have a lot more of these episodes. But I mean, definitely the last two are are the the most special to us uh, yeah. personally. So yeah, I, I had a ton of fun tonight lucas thanks for letting me uh talk tree monitors on the podcast uh, i hope everyone else enjoyed it as much as we did because like i said i think we could have easily gone another hour so yeah. i mean i think um, i might have enjoyed it more than you did but <laughs> I, uh, I don't know about that I, I soaked in a lot so yeah uh cody was awesome so lucas uh another one in the books um, this is one of the first times we'll, we'll do a little bit of behind the scenes, but, uh, one of the first times we've actually been able to bank an episode in a while. So right. Pat yourself on the back, enjoy right. a little bit of time off besides just social media. And, uh, yeah, we got like two weeks until we got to record again at the latest. So that's the most time we've had in probably, or, or we keep it up and keep patting ourselves on the back. This right. is good, baby. And, yeah, exactly. But, uh, appreciate you guys for sticking through this long episode. It was full of a bunch of good information. Uh, again, uh, you know, we are getting close to that 1K subscriber. Go ahead and share our YouTube profile. You guys have a good one.